Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the Lions! Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. Welcome to the Two Solitudes special edition where we're going to break down the Canada-Panama game, do a little MLS news at the end of that, a little shorter show than normal because it's a special edition, but uh, before we get going into all of that, Kevin Laramay joins me in Montreal. How are you today, sir? Pretty good. Not hungover, but uh, let's just say I had a little bit of fun watching the Canada-Panama game. Ale, 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 rouge, ale. Uh, it's too bad you weren't hungover because the Canada-Panama game wasn't the most entertaining game of football I've ever seen in my life. A little beer might have helped it along. <laughs> it actually did help it along because uh, that and the conversation we were having, <laughs> forgetting to watch the actual game. There you go. Um, yeah, let's that's, that's start there. Um, look, I think the first thing I would say about uh, last night's nil-nil result, in case you weren't aware, uh, was that uh, they didn't lose. And it, it was in Panama. and They look, didn't concede. As well, support. They didn't concede. Uh, and although Panama did most certainly have the bulk of possession and more of the chances, I would not say that it's accurate to suggest that Panama dominated the game. Um, I think that Panama simply was a little bit better on the night, but didn't finish what chances it had. But there weren't a lot of chances out there to have. Um, you know, and and I think that we'll I'll get your take on this after that. But uh, you know, the, the the CSA and their press release said. Uh, a point on the road in World Cup qualifying is important, and last night's result would have given us a point on the road. I don't know if you can draw the direct parallel between last night's game and a, and a World Cup qualifier, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it was a point in the road, Kevin. I don't draw. I don't draw the direct parallel because there was not the same type of atmosphere. Okay. At the beginning of the match, I was really disappointed with the attendance in Panama, with the atmosphere there was like a lack of, but it actually got better. In the second half, the stands were half full, which wasn't the case in the first half. But the atmosphere wasn't the same. They were in the same hotel, for crying out loud. There was no interfering with their sleeping last night. So so the elements, the intangible, what makes a CONCACAF away game special wasn't there for that game last night. But still, it's a point on the road against a decent team. And Panama had a very good team. Almost their first club, their uh, top players were starting the game. Which you can say for Canada in a way, but I have to say I was disappointed with the starting lineup a little bit, Dwayne. Yeah, the average age was something like 31 or 32. And, and the uh, midfield was 32.5, I think, the average. And that's just, I was, I thought it was uh, not uncalled for, but I thought it was, we have to move from that. We, and I actually have went into arguments with some uh, Voyagers last night because I believe that we need to think about the future. And the future is not just four years from now, it's eight years and those type of game away in Panama, those experiences need to be for the young kids. Those guys need minutes. Does Dero and Bernie really need that for their pedigree or for their career going forward? 
Yeah, well, it's certainly Dero, I, I, I'm not sure you're you're going to get much more out of him. Although, you know, he, he had an okay game last night. I thought he made some smart plays out there. Um, showed that he might at least be around if he's playing in MLS next year to uh, be part of the Gold Cup team. However, I guess to speak to your point, uh, to put it in the words that Floro might use, is that certainly if you look at his history of lineups and what teams he played uh, during that long, bleak, non-goal scoring 2013, uh, they were very young, and those teams were getting their their asses handed to them game in, game out. And he did say um, that this was the second they hit three, he had three phases is how he was looking, approaching this when he was designing the rebuild. And the first phase was the uh, identification phase where he was just going to put lineups out there. And he was going to get lots of kids, lots of experience. He was going to do a lot of things like that. Uh, and then the second phase, he was going to be preparing for the gold cup. And that is the phase that they're in right now. So this, I guess, is him showing the type of lineup that he expects to be using in the Gold Cup next year because he believes it's important to have success there. I understand what you're saying, and I don't completely disagree. Uh, I, I do think that I do understand the importance of trying to get some positive results for the program, though. Mm-hmm. I I can agree to them. That's another thought that came to my mind when I was watching the game is, okay, I get it a couple of veterans to actually make a transition from... Uh, to, when, there's a, when you experience a new... Uh, feeling or a new environment as a player and you're not surrounded by veterans it can seem really like a mystery it's really the unknown if you have one or two veteran there it's easier for them to teach a little bit and pass their knowledge to the other generation i can understand their presence of a couple of veterans to make it easier for that transition to happen of the knowledge from uh, what they have learned in their career to what to do in those environments to perform and to excel and to give that to the kids yeah, and I don't think there is much value in having a, a lineup of complete kids lose 3-0 to Panama or something like that. I don't know if you necessarily get value from that. Uh, certainly, I think that he invites a lot of younger people down there so that they can be part of it. And we did get some in in the second half. Later in the second half, we had a bit of a, line, a younger uh, lineup there. So one criticism I will give is I would have liked to see a little more liberal use of the subs mm-hmm. a little earlier in the game. Um, it was just a friendly but I think that after, again, after that year of, of no results, no goals, barely, uh, he's, I think, designed this team to be, to needing to get some some ability to win. I, I talk about that uh, when I talk to some of the guys that coach at the at League One level, the development coaches, they talk about that, how, you know, we always stress it's not about the winning, it's not about the winning when you're talking about development. But at the same time, they go, you know, there comes a point where winning is part of development. And I, I would say that same thing on a different is, is there for the national team winning is part of their development but with that nil-nil draw one thing comes to mind and sam gregory will attest to that in the live at the pub version later later on we need goals we need strikers what's the, the future of the the attacking position for canada does seem a little bleak yeah and ricketts did not have his best game there 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 was a scoring chance that they did have Boy, uh, it was uh, Ricketts on what the 90th minute. He could have yeah. won it there, and he missed by like two feet. Yeah, that that was not the best, and it was a terrible touch and an even worse sort of finish from the position it was in. And that is, it's always been Canada's problem, <laughs> um, and it continues to be. And I don't even know what the solution is. It's why I mean, people maybe we could talk about Junior Hollette in a minute and some of the the talk that happened in the last couple of days about him potentially coming back into the program. Um, it's why you can't ignore having offensive players come back into this program, even if they might irritate you a little bit, right? Uh, there's just not a lot of offensive talent there. I would even look, he's playing in 
India right now, but even a guy like Ian Hume back in this program makes some sense to me if he can get some level. I, I mean, Ian Hume's a guy that still passionately loves the the program and would come come in a heartbeat. Uh, he's not playing at a very high level, but he is still playing, so it's something that I would think of as well. We just need to look at all of the options up front. Yeah, he's playing that new Super League, right? Yeah, which is only a two month league. So after that, he'll be up. You know, he'll be a free agent again. I guess uh, might not be a bad pickup in MLS if we can get him for the right money if he wants to come home too. But uh, you know, guy in the tail end of his career, and that doesn't add to that youth movement that we're talking about. But you know, I don't know what youth guys there are. I mean, maybe you start giving. Jordan Hamilton call-ups or something, you know, guys that are playing in that U-20 team, but uh, we should maybe touch on the U-20 team real quick. They, of course, defeated the United States yesterday 1-0 yeah. uh, to finish their tour over there where they beat Russia 2-1, uh, the U.S. 1-0, and drew England 2-2 on a late goal. Impressive uh, results. Those three games put together, in itself, they're impressive, but just to streak they're in, it's pretty good for the U-20 team. Yeah, which they qualified in January down in Jamaica. So that, I think, in Floro's mind is almost more important than the than some of the national team stuff at the senior level right now. It's kind of a stopgap, and that's unfortunate and kind of depressing as a fan to, to think of it that way. But we're kind of in a stopgap sort of position when it comes to the national team right now. We just need to survive till next summer and, and maybe get something out of the Gold Cup. I don't know what... What do you expect out of a Gold Cup based on what we've seen in the last three games, Kevin? Well, I hear there's going to be probably a mix of uh, the lineups for the World Cup as well. We can expect maybe a couple of U20s, I guess, U23s at least, to maybe make the roster for the World Cup, for, for the Gold Cup. Uh, I don't expect anything from the Gold Cup, but the last couple of performances from Canada have been encouraging. That's why I'm a little bit disappointed with the Neil Deodra because I thought Canada had a. I still think they do have a little different confidence level to them and different opinion of themselves so that maybe they can reach higher level of performances than they thought was possible. But the 0-0 draw, in a way, it's back to reality of how hard it is to win on the road. So on the Gold Cup, it's always on the road, almost for us. So I never expect anything big. I don't expect Canada to win it at all. But maybe to uh, make it to the knockout stage if it's possible. Yeah, well, certainly I think that should be their their goal, is to get to the knockout stage of the Gold Cup. And we're a long way off from that yet. There'll be yeah. several more friendlies before then. But um, it is an important Gold Cup, and it is the, quote, the quote, unquote, important Gold Cup. There's the non-important Gold Cup that happens in World Cup years, and then sort of just before World Cup years. And then there's the important one that happens the year after World Cups, where uh, they, they have a spot in the Confederation Cup. And uh, in this case, it's also qualifying for Copa Americas in 2016. So... Something to play for there, although Canada has a very hard road to get to the Copa Americas. They're the only team. This is this is so CONCACAF. Every team in the region has two chances to make Copa America 2016 or is already invited in the case of the U.S. and Mexico. Except Canada. Except for Canada. We're the only team with one chance. And the funny thing about the way the qualified set up is that potentially Canada, if you win the Gold Cup, if Canada were to win the Gold Cup, they will get a spot directly in. So there's that. If they don't win the Gold Cup, say if they made the Gold Cup final, they still potentially would have to play a playoff game to make it into that Copa Americas, which is just absurd to me. But at any rate... Especially um, when the the other team in the final will probably be either Mexico or United States that already have qualified for yeah. the tournament. And uh, there's a team qualifying from uh, the the Central American champions who automatically went through, which I believe is Panama. The Caribbean uh, Cup, right? It's, it's in the next couple of weeks. The Caribbean Cup is just taking part. Uh, the winner of that will get an automatic spot plus the two there. And then it'll be the uh, 
get the turn into the six. I think there's two more spots up for grabs, so it'll have to do with the uh, the best finishes in the Gold Cup. Uh, as I said, it looks like uh, the funny thing is because Honduras did not win the uh, Central American Championship, it, it looks like it might be between Honduras and Canada to get to that spot too, if we can even get that far. But Ooh. we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> and that looks, but no, I'm salivating just thinking about either we can beat Honduras, it'll be a little maybe redemption. Yeah, but I, we're still, like you say, a long way off from that happening. Yeah, let's that, hope we can get to a Honduras playoff game. That would be something that I would enjoy. It would be a good test. At any rate, oh, yeah. um, I think one of the key things uh, that I wanted to touch on before we go to the sound that you captured in the, the Montreal pub last night, um, clean sheet. I don't think that's you don't. I don't think you should ignore that. Two great saves as well. Two shots that were not easy to save from far away in the top corners that Borderan made great saves on them. Yeah, absolutely. And Borian's had a had a decent year and he's found uh, some stability in his club situation, which is why he continues to start. So that that's I think something to to build upon. Uh, you think about the last three games, the Jamaican win at home where they allowed the one goal and then the one goal against, you know, on a world class free kick by a world class player against Columbia. Uh, and then no goals tonight or last night. So, you know, only two goals allowed in the last three games. I think that that, to me, and if we can go back to the Columbia game real quick on that, is is the biggest takeaway I take from the fall friendlies is that Floro seems to have the team a little more organized. There was some moments of, you know, eh, last night, especially... Some, some cringing moment, but... Especially out in the fullbacks where he had two young centerbacks playing fullback. Um, there was some danger that was created at times, but by and large, they held it together. Uh, you know, I think that if you listen to the broadcast of the commentary, Craig Forrest was bang on when he was saying that there were some tackles that were going in that would probably get them in trouble in a more intense environment. Uh, however, they uh, they stayed out of trouble on that night. In fact, they went down or they got up a man to 10 men, which I, I, I tweeted out might have been the first time in history that they've ever been <laughs> up a man on the road because they just simply don't get those calls. Yeah. But I mean, it was a friendly though. Would you get that call in an actual oh, no competitive chance. game? No, exactly. No chance. Yeah, and I, you know, that's ended with that, and then we'll run your your thing. They, you, you touched on it earlier on. Um, it's important to play down there, but we can never underestimate how different it is when it's World Cup qualifying. Like, that's it's a friendly in in name. That's what they call it. They call it a friendly for a reason. It's just a little nice kick around the park, and the, the players want to pull a win when they're out there. But the fans are more laid back. It's just kind of fun. I'm sure that if. I was down there with a Canadian flag last night that uh, I wouldn't have been mugged, you know, whereas if I wouldn't have been doing too well during World Cup qualifying, you know what I mean? Like, it just wouldn't have been safe. So it would have been safe last night. It was last night. You can't emulate those situations. I don't know how you could, but it's good that Floros has them playing these games, and it's good that Floro had them playing during all three of the fall friendlies because in the past, that didn't happen. And uh, we now we wait till January where there will be some more dates that pop around and uh we see what happens with that january camp that uh, will probably be mls heavy just before the draft and before we throw through the sound wayne there's a good point that came out of it some conversation we had last night not on this recording is instead of playing two games in this break floor decided to just play one but make a camp out of it so he invited players like tso to come in and just slowly integrate him in the part of the team without actually having play but he was with the club he was there the whole weekend and like of a camp for him to inc- include him in the roster so i like the way that culture is developing as well yeah absolutely i think that you can't underestimate the importance of training time and they in the past they they didn't have that in the past they if they did get a friendly it was only one in the fall probably and they were flying in and flying out or they were in europe and they were playing two bang bang games basically as the 
Washington generals <laughs> in Europe. And that was that. Whereas this was, you know, a plan that was put into effect. They had a nice plan. Uh, they had to travel together. They had to train together for a while. And then they had a friendly at the end of it. And now they, they go back to their club teams or vacation, as the case may be. Or Julian Guzman. Yeah, well, Julian, he needs a team pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, look, was there a highlight for you in terms of uh, Canadians' play last night, Kevin? If you if you had to, uh, we talked about Borjan, but uh, Borjan, but uh, we didn't. You know, was there an outfield player that stood out for you? I liked we met play up until like the seventieth minute where he made a couple mistakes. We're all going to say we're all on the cusp of saying, look at it. We met how great of a game he's having in a position that he's not used to play, and then he lost the ball for a couple of possessions. But still, I was impressed by we met his performance last night. Yeah, and I've said this the last game, the Columbia game too. That the player that's most stood up and, and sort of stood out to me and, and sort of put his game to the next little while, kind of ironically, because he lost his club when they went to the Premier League. Was uh, was Edgar? Uh, he made a couple really smart tackles. There was one in the first half where he smartly got his foot to the ball and, and cleared what was really would have been a very dangerous play. Uh, even the yellow card he took was a really smart, heads up, uh, intelligent play. Uh, he first he made the tackle quite well, and it was only sort of bad luck that the the guy was going to break past it very subtly. He almost could have got away with it in a different situation, but he didn't, and that was the right yellow card to take at the time. Um, so I thought Edgar had a good game. Um, you know, I mentioned Dero a second ago. I think that he you, you saw his old brain, uh, his creative brain working at time, but his body just isn't there anymore for him to create the space that he needs that he sees with his eyes. Uh, he just needs some creative force to unlock that midfield. You know, you end up having that also, if you had more creative space up front, you could get uh, Hutchison forward a little bit more too, and it just would be better off for everyone. But A low point that I found was uh, the free kick that Dero and Bernier took. Both, like, the most experienced veterans in the team, both of them behind a free kick. Both of them like to say they like and they're good at free kicks, and it was one of the worst free kicks I've seen. <laughs> Dero was good at free kicks about 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen him take one a really good Dero free kick in a long time. He does, in fairness, if you ever Google it, my, one of my favorite free kick goals ever anywhere in the world was by Dwayne DiRosario when he played for the uh, for the Earthquakes. And uh, just, just YouTube that out there. It's this crazy bend. It was the goal of the year in MLS. Yeah, it's uh, a classic. In 2002, I think. So anyway, yeah, that's one of my favorite free kicks. But it's been a long time since he took kicks like that. And uh, there you go. At All least right. Becker didn't take it. would have probably been even worse. <laughs> Kyle Becker. Uh, Kyle Becker got some time again. I don't understand Kyle Becker, but uh, alas, he wasn't caught by TFC yet either. So who knows? All right. Well, they're going to have a USL pro team. They need to start there. I was talking about it's going to be Dero to start of that team next year, but it might be Becker. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about MLS a bit after we uh, after we put the sound in from the pub last night. But uh, but certainly, um, yeah, there, there were some interesting lack of cuts with TFC. There's some been the the. The names are coming out now, and uh, the, you know Robert Earnshaw, for instance, was uh, put on waivers basically by by the fire the other day. So the fact that TFC only uh, parted ways with two people is kind of interesting, and sort of suggests that they're they're holding the holding on to what they have, which may or may not make you happy. <laughs> um, last thought, Kevin, before we go to the sound, one thing that I did note, and you said, how many people were at the pub with you yesterday? We were five for the first half and seven for the second. <laughs> Okay, but from Montreal, that isn't that bad, right? Uh, three expats from the, <laughs> that group. Okay, well, sure. But <laughs> I, I, I can tell you, I go to every game, and I always go to the Duke of Gloucester here in Toronto, which is the home of the Voyagers in uh, in Toronto. And uh, 
you know, it, it was a it was a bigger crowd than it had been before, which suggested to me that some of that like frustration and anger and just quite quote unquote need a break from uh, is starting to pass, and that people are beginning to move on a little bit from the eight one and ready to 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 start supporting again. And I think that that was a positive. I got um, into arguments with Voyagers because I was not calling out Flora, but I was just questioning some things because that's what you have to do sometimes. Just talk about it and just trying to come up with a talking point. And I was talking about the age and I was wondering why. And people, well, one person was really taking, not offense, but really taking the defense of Flora. Like, it's the best coach we had in forever. You know what he's doing? Stop saying things would be different. I'm like, Dude, I'm just asking questions to see if it's a good thing or not. And clearly, you know, you think it is. So there's some passion in Floro. And it's a good thing that people like him as a coach. He's, he's our grandpa, right? Yeah. It's going to be a busy year next year. 2015 is going to be a very busy year for the Canadian national uh, men's national team. You're going to have the, uh, the U23s will be playing in the Pan Am games. You're going to have some World Cup qualifying, very likely. The big stuff, the Gold Cup's in there. Uh, Floro seems committed to having every friendly uh, date filled, so there's going to be a lot of this team to talk about next year, and it's time to move on, and I think we all are. So uh, let's take a quick break, or let's, sorry, let's run the sound that you got from the pub last night, and then when we come back from that, we'll do a little bit of MLS talk to wrap the show up. told this guy where I was from. He said, oh, Canada. Kind of laughs it off. It was funny, huh? And welcome to this very special outside post-game edition. We're here live outside of Frappe in the winter wonderland to talk about the Panama versus Canada game. Uh, first of all, I have Sam Gregory, Fez Inam, and Fred with me, that Ted the Fred on Twitter. First of all, guys, just say a little hello to our listeners. Hello, it's good to be on. As Kevin said, it's very, very cold out here tonight. <laughs> hey, it's fun. Uh, it's fine to be here. Hi, hey, let's uh, do it great. Like, we're a bit cold, but what? we'll make it through. <laughs> Speaking about make it through, Canada made it through to that game without conceding the goal. So let's start with that. And then at 0-0, after 90 minutes of play in Panama, are you satisfied with that nil-nil draw? Well, I was just on Twitter, and I saw that uh, Daniel Squizzato posted, if this result had happened two years ago, we'd be ecstatic right now, because we would have gotten the point in Panama that probably would have put us through to the hex. So, I mean, the game itself, wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of quality in that game. We didn't look that great, Panama didn't look that great, but the result, nil-nil, I'll take it away in CONCACAF. Fez, the thing I got from it was, a guy like we met played 90 minutes, no goals allowed, overall, great job, a few mistakes here and there. Our back line did their job. They didn't like. There weren't a lot of chances that looked amazing. There was a couple of scary moments, but overall, defense-wise, it seems like something we can build on. And ideally, month by month, we can. It's something that we could succeed with overall. Right. Well, Milan Boyan had a couple of saves to make, and he made them. And like, uh, it's what you you need to do. And like, we need to draw at away from Concacaf. That's that's the number one concern. Like, we expect to win at home and draw away, and I believe that if we do that, we'll drop, like, you will have a shot to make the World Cup. Right, I'll bring the big elephant in the room, and that's because it's white and it's snowing here. 
Alright, there was a lot of old midfielders starting in that game today. <laughs> what do you think about Dero and Bernie? Okay, first of all, we're gonna get a lot of hate with that. We love Dero, we love Bernier, but looking forward to the future, would you have started Bernier or Dero or any other Inisenikan, uh, INF, it's easier to say, <laughs> any other older midfielder, would you have started them tonight? Ah, uh, well, it was fun to go back to 2008 today with a midfield that you easily could have seen in the 2008 qualifiers. I mean, you had <laughs> you had all the guys back together. And it was a very slow midfield, which wasn't surprising. And I think some of these guys will play a role going forward. I think Hutchinson will play a role going forward. Maybe Julian and maybe is he next to McFerrin. But I really see no role for Dero or Bernier. So I'm, I'm not sure why they got so many minutes today. But we'll see how Floro picks things going forward. It seems to me that Floro wanted to make this a statement game where they could potentially win. And so he felt that the older guys had that potential more than the younger. And so, I, for me, it's fine that they started the older guys, but them still being there at the 50th, 60th, 70th minute became more and more unacceptable as time went on, and it robbed a lot of the younger guys, I think, of minutes that would have been very valuable given the situation. Yeah, I would have loved to see a tiebreak. I know, like, a Venom fan that I'm signing out here uh, was a fan of the, that lineup, but, like, uh, you know what, like, we needed to see more of Tyrant, more of those soldiers. Like, I would have loved to see them play more than uh, we've seen them today. But you know what, Flora wanted to, to adapt to uh, Panama making changes, and, and that, was, that was it. Like, he wanted to, to see how they, how they can do it with uh, those old uh, geezers. <laughs> it was one of the first game away in the CONCACAF for Benito Flora with a lineup that will probably look like similar to what he's going to have in the next couple years. Do you think that the fact that he brought all those veterans was just maybe to, to hand the torch, to be able to give at least one example of how to behave in the CONCACAF region away to the young guys and going forward we'll see more of the young guys? Well, maybe that would make sense if they'd sort of behaved better in the past away in CONCACAF. I mean, it's not like these old midfielders have had good games away in CONCACAF in the past, but I see the thing. You don't want to... You don't want to throw these young players out against Panama, have them be destroyed away and just their confidence shattered next time they go play in Panama or away in CONCACAF. So I see that to an extent. And I think we did get some young players in. Osorio came on, Tiber came on, Haber came on. So I think we, we saw a bit of the mix. I would have liked to see a few more kids and hopefully next time the torch will be passed a little more down the line and we will see a few more kids. Guys, do you think we need to see the kids getting a little bit more playing time to maybe get accustomed to those uh, type of situations away in the CONCACAF? We've said a lot in the past week about how important Flora's camps are. So many people get so much out of the camps. And so I think a lot of what the older guys can contribute is a lot in the hotel and the camp, talking and about the environment. I don't think that it's all about the minutes. I think we could have given more minutes to the kids, left the guys on the bench, having them play a lesser role and still gotten as much, if not as all of that amount of benefit from them. I think them playing the minutes they did was good for maybe victory, but less good for the future. Fred, if you're Benito Floro, what type of changes would have you done in the beginning of this game today before the start? Would have you gone with the same lineup or maybe you have a little something different? Well, I want to start with the same lineup. I just think that I would have made changes earlier. That's that's the only thing. Um, but I don't blame the guy. Um, that's, uh, well, that's pretty much it. Do you think maybe, Fred, that with this game was not really important, yes or no, because it was a friendly? If it was a bit of victory, would have you used it to uh, amplify the confidence? Do you think a draw uh, hinders that confidence? I don't think so, because you know what? Like, uh, drawing a win in CONCACAF, especially in Central America, it's 
uh, it's what you, you want. It's honestly like, uh, I'll be honest, like if we drew uh, in Central America anytime, uh, and you want to uh, gain the, the, uh, the exper those experience, especially uh, uh, living um, living in Central America and like understanding uh, what it is, uh, their, their supporters, because it's, it's maybe different than what you're accustomed to in North America or Europe. And I believe that it's important for those young players, that those tybirds who you know, haven't played Champions League, or sorry, hasn't played in the CONCACAF Champions League, I do believe for them it's important to see what it's all about. Yeah, well, I think coming into this, I, I might be guilty of having too high an expectation of us and maybe too low an expectation of, of Panama. But I mean, I, over conversation, Panama's a really good team. Panama's a team that almost made the World Cup. Um, and so I think that we shouldn't kind of over-criticize um, ourselves by denigrating Panama, because they're really good. We went there and we got something that is at the minimum we need, and that, that can be good enough. Simon, I'll do one last run at the table. I'll start with you. Now, before the next game, there's a couple of weeks before the next international break. What kind of focus would you put on the team if you're Benito Flora? What kind of thing you want to see from the players? Or what kind of players would you bring in the next camp? Goals, 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 goals. I'm always a little worried to see Clee or to see us shut out back games back to back. And today against Panama, we provided nothing going forward. For all, for all, for all the positives we had in containing Panama, there was no chances going forward. Colombia's third best team in the world. We had one chance against them. We had the Kyle Aaron chance, but other than that, not a whole lot. So I'd say the next focus, we've got to work on putting together a more coherent attack, making some chances, at least making the keeper make a couple saves. I mean, there was one shot on target today, and it was from a Dero free kick about 35 yards out that dribbled into his hand. So just somewhat of a more potent offense I'd like to see in the next game. I'll just leave an open-ended question to all three of you, and I'll let you answer with yourself. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy at the table earlier. Uh, there's Grizzly here, and I talked to him about how I still don't see an identity of play with Canada, and it, for me, it's one thing missing, because an identity of play, it's kind of like a guidelines, what you need and what you have to do as a player, and when you have that, when you come to the team, you know where you stand. What, what's your thought on that? Uh, well, I think, I think Floro's trying to sort of figure out what the identity is. Before he says this is the way we're going to play, I think he has to, he's seen something like 70 players through all the different ranks of the last couple of years, over the last two years, I guess, since he's been, or a year and a bit since he's been here. With the U20 team, I mean, they're playing fantastically over in Europe this week. So By the way, one nothing today against the USA. I think <laughs> yeah. it's worth maddening. Canada U20 won the States. <laughs> yeah. And the U.S. men's national team lost today, and we didn't. So that's two wins we have over the U.S., <laughs> two moral victories over the U.S. today. Exactly. Guys. Yeah, um, I'm saying that I think it's a process, right? So I'm, I'm not drawing too much from this match because I think that identity will come from other players. It'll come from more skilled players. It'll come over time um, as we develop both tactically and skill-wise for a lot of the guys that are in their early 20s right now that we know are going to be there in 2018. And so this is kind of a transitionary phase, so I'm prepared to wait and see how that develops in the months and games going forward. Well, I do believe that Canada before it was like pretty much the identity of Canada, the identity uh, in quotations was that the Canada had a team of pretty much guys who survived at playing soccer. That's a good but point. that's pretty much it, what it was. Now what we've got the academies we, which we we didn't have it. Yes, Vancouver had an academy, but you know what? It's not. It's now we've got multiple academies, and I do believe that one will get an academy, especially uh, at the youth level, and not and maybe in like and like we see, I believe that the 
U17 est aussi le gars de, de gang with, uh, aussi de, de Piet Alleman, um, uh, Alderson, those guys. Uh, those guys are probably the first uh, years that they've got that that uh, that that experience. That experience and like you'll get the other players and like it will take times maybe and five years from now we'll have an identity because that's what that's, that's what the goal is. All right. Thanks for listening to this post-game edition of uh, Two Solitudes Podcast live from the terrace of uh, Frappinia. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm going back in. It's way too cold. Thanks for Sam Gregory Fezinam and La Tête de Fred on Twitter. And until uh, after this smart bumper, well, uh, back to the show. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast with Kevin Larme and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Larame. Or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And uh, have you warmed up yet, Kevin? Yes, uh, I had after a whole night inside my big duvet covers. And about a 25 degree in my room. I'm fine now. Very good. Yeah, the heat's on in my building now, which is a good thing and a bad thing because I live in the top floor and it gets uh, it gets pretty warm in the winter. It's actually hot in this apartment sometimes. We have the fan running all year. But anyway, enough of my apartment was. Um, uh, I could just say to myself one thing. I'd rather be here than in Buffalo right now, which is uh, everybody's probably saying that. But what, three feet of snow already in the last two days? Oof, it's a hard start to the winter. Well, the key, I find it, you know, this is the weather podcast sometimes, but uh, I'm looking at the window and I can still see green grass. The, the leaves are mostly gone now, but they can still see green grass and, and Buffalo is, what, an hour and a half away and it's there's 12 feet of snow. So the weather is fascinating in this part of the world sometimes and there you go. Um, all right. Uh, TFC. No, we're going to start with Chivas USA. Their, their garage sale is today, um, also known as the dispersal draft, which is a polite way of saying the scavengers are having at the uh, the last bit of meat on the bone. Would you think the biggest pick of that draft is even going to come back to MLS? Is Kuba uh, Torres going to play in the MLS next year? Well, Torres isn't available in the draft. Oh, there you go. Uh, he is uh, the, the MLS is working with him uh, to sign him to a DP contract for the league. He's going to be a league DP, and then they're going to somehow uh, find a way to give him to the LA Galaxy. I'm sure is how it's going to work out, uh, which I joke. But he's going to take Donovan's place. Yeah, well, and it, there's a certain amount of sense to it. But at any rate, yeah, that's what's happening with uh, with Torres. Is he's uh, he's going to be a he's working with the league to sign the DP, and if they can get him full time back up here, then he will get. Uh, distributed somehow. God only knows. Anyway, um, the rest of the team, uh, Dan Candy's kind of perceived as maybe the biggest fish out there. Uh, there's some interesting pieces uh, if you really want to, for depth, I think, mostly. You know, let's, let's keep in mind that Chivas USA was a terrible team, <laughs> you know? Uh, it was not constructed properly. It was basically a misfit type of team where everybody that got cut from any other team in the last two years find a spot there. Yeah, well, yeah. There was kind some good... There were some good pieces, and I think that there's some good young pieces there because their academy system was pretty decent. Some of their homegrown talents pretty good, and I could see some of the better teams, which because of MLS and MLS MLSing, uh, they had this weird blind draw where they put two balls in the in the pot for teams that weren't in the playoffs and one ball for the team that were in the playoffs, and they somehow ended up still drawing like five of the first six picks were 
um, were playoff teams, so it, it's it's silly. But at any rate, and, and New York got a, the second pick overall. I suspect New York might take Kennedy. Um, yeah. Look, it's it's a ridiculous. To, the Impact have a decent position. They can probably get a piece out of this. Uh, TFC and Vancouver are both further down, and I doubt they're going to get much of anything. Like I was looking at the numbers today, and that's the other thing you have to keep in mind is you have you have to take their salary on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to make sure that the contract is worthwhile. And so, don't forget it's a cap league, and the impact are already close to the cap with 16 players signed for next year. So. Yeah, well, we don't know what the cap's going to be next year. Sure. That's the other part of it, too, which is a big mystery, and we don't. Anyway, it, it's a mess, and I always I feel awkward. I hate these drafts. I, I think they're ridiculous. And there's a whole ma- season of it. What, there's five of them this season? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then you, the expansion draft's going to come up and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's happening at 4 p.m. Eastern today, so when you listen to it, a lot of people will have – uh, already known the results of this, so we'll break it down in our on our Monday show. Uh, so we're not going to go too much further than that. Just so if you are listening to, uh, basically, you can't trade the picks. Uh, you can trade the players after you pick them, though. So I anticipate that that's what's happening today. Is there's a lot of phone calls going around the league where people are talking. You know, I would like this player. If you have a player in mind, you can probably work with the clubs that have a higher pick. It wouldn't shock me if teams that are lower, or even a team like TFC, is if they have interest in a specific player, are working the phones right now to try and work something out. TFC with three draft picks in the first round, two might. You know, if, if they have a player, I could see them offering one of those draft picks for that player, and it would make a lot of sense to do that because you can control who you have, right? Yeah. Whereas in NCAA is a little bit different. Uh, not much more to say on that. Uh, well, like I said, we'll break it down on Monday, and uh, we'll, we'll spare a little thought for, uh, for Alicia and the other fans of Chivas who are having to watch their team get torn apart by scavengers today. Um. Kevin, I guess there was a bit of a screaming match amongst supporters and uh, Clopas in Montreal, was there? You you quoted the best way to describe it earlier. It's a town hall. It was a town hall meeting that the club had with its supporters, its fans, its season ticket holders, to be more precise. At a, um, I can't remember what it was, but two days ago. It was uh, two days ago. It was actually very interesting Monday night to see the way Clubus reacted a couple of questions, and everybody was honest in that process. Fans were honest, a little too honest sometimes, but hey, it's part of the game. Same thing was said for the 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 coach itself, and Clopas actually defended himself pretty good. Actually threw a couple players under the bus, but it happens sometimes, and sometimes those players had it coming. If we go back to the selfie pressy of certain Mr. Ferrari. <laughs> but uh, a couple of good things. Brosky, there was a, a Brosky controversy. Apparently, <laughs> this is allegedly because it's it, there's always two sides to the same story, right? And it's all gossip. But apparently, Brosky said at the beginning of the season he would like to leave, blah, blah, blah. And the coach almost put the blame on his wife. And then the wife put a go on Twitter. And But anyways, it was a whole f- funny and awkward situation happened that night. But Klopas probably won me over, not as in his, with his coaching abilities, but with uh, he's got uh, he's got some spaldings. It's the best uh, politically way to say it. Oh yeah, <laughs> because he defended himself on stage. Uh, a player actually asked asked a very inappropriate question and more of a comment that I would say. He said that he was ashamed to be a fan when some players were disrespected by the way some things were handled this season. And Klopas honestly said. Guys, you guys always know one side of the story. You don't know the conversation I have day-to-day with those players in my office, on the pitch, and in the room. You don't know that. So don't necessarily assume all you hear. He actually mentioned cases, like I said earlier, 
and was honest about the situation, it gives you a little bit more light of what went on this season and the impact. And it wasn't as gloom as we thought, maybe, but just a lack of talent sometimes can go a long way. Certainly, yeah, that is the, uh, the great equalizer when you're talking about character issues in the room is that talent sort of it usually beats character every time of the day. Skill wins out. Um, yeah. I, I am um, a veteran of several TFC town hall meetings, and uh, I, I think there's probably a correlation between successful teams and lack of town hall meetings because they generally, <laughs> they generally only happen when things are going poorly. <laughs> We have to appease the fan base. Uh, are your season tickets, uh, are they back up for sale yet? I haven't decided yet. No, but no, I mean, no, no, they're on sale yet. Okay. Uh, I thought it was me personally. Because I was like, yeah, I had season tickets up to this point, and I'm uh, debating now. But uh, yes, I uh, they're on sale right now. It's been a month. Okay, so the, that's all part of it, probably. They're trying to sell. Do you know how they're doing? Do you have any, any idea whether they're selling well? I don't think they're doing that well because I've never seen as much email sent to everybody to renew as this year. It might not have been more on the uh, years prior it was on the newspaper and on buses and publicity everywhere. This season it's really personal. They're like really focusing their season ticket holder from prior season and really trying for, to get them to renew. And it's a little harder than it used to be. And for some reason, I understand why. There you go. Losing makes it difficult. Uh, and Montreal certainly didn't excel at the attendance front at the end of the year, and certainly in terms of the bodies in the seats. Uh, speaking of teams that uh, didn't have a lot of bodies in the seats near the end of the year and, and are trying to sell season tickets, now it's Toronto FC's turn to, to have a chat here. Um, you know, a bit of news in TFC's front. They uh, fired their uh, kit man this week. Uh, look, guys, I'm not going to go into a great rant about the kit man. He's the kit man. Um, I appreciate that he's a human being that lost his job and we don't like that, but I don't think it's a sign of anything about the club and uh, some of the reaction uh, on the chat about that is maybe a little bit exaggerated and maybe a little bit of a... It's like reflecting off of other things. You know, like you're kind of um, putting your grief and anger about other parts of TFC onto this particular move, and, and we don't know the whole story, as we talked about a minute ago. I'll leave it at that. Um in terms of TFC season tickets, there's anger about that because TFC fans are angry about everything right now. <laughs> uh, the tickets have been frozen again, sort of. Basically, TFC season tickets are kind of like an airplane next year. Like when you, you know, like when you talk to people on the airplane and ask if you, well, I don't know if anyone does this, it'd be kind of rude. But if you did and ask people how much they paid for the ticket, you'd get a different answer by everyone. <laughs> TFC season tickets are going to kind of be like that next year. Where it's a bit that way to Montreal, by the way. I forgot to say some. Like if you you had a, if you're old time fan, you have a little certain price. If you're new fan, or if you buy now or next month or next month, it's all different prices as well. Yeah, basically, uh, anyone who was a TFC season ticket holder uh, prior to three years ago when they first froze the tickets, will have the year one pricing still. So I would estimate, and this is just an estimation, that that probably represents close to half the season ticket holders uh, would have year one pricing still. Uh, in, in the South End's case, that's $190, a very inexpensive ticket. Uh, obviously, it goes up from there, and you can, if you want to pay them $1,000 a year, you can. Um, anyone who bought in the intermittent years in the last two years is going to have whatever price they paid as the new ticket holder then will be what they're still frozen on and anyone that's new has a new price going on and in the case of the south end seats and this is where people are uh, there's trepidation amongst people i would say is it's like it's close to double it's 300 and i don't have the numbers in front of me but it's in the high 300s and a lot of people are concerned that that's what will happen 
uh, if and when uh, they decide to um, to actually up all of our prices, which will happen eventually if they ever made the playoffs. It's, that's the big joke is that TFC makes the playoffs and their first playoff ticket's going to be $600 or something. <laughs> In the cup. Yeah, don't, yeah, MLSE, let's not kid ourselves, it might be. Um, look, I don't know what to say about that. If you don't like the prices, don't go. And that's about the only voice you have uh, in the past. People basically, the reason we got the freeze back to where it was is because they, people were telling them they weren't going to go if they didn't freeze the prices or roll the prices back, and they did. Uh, in 2011, when they tried to put the prices up to, it's crazy, it was like $485 or something for a South End ticket, or they were asking, keep in mind, I'm paying 190 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people revolted, and they rolled them back. It was still three something, 380, 390, I think. So. If you don't like the pricing, if you don't like the fact that they're, that's the other thing I should say, they're, if you don't renew before December 15th, uh-huh. then you're going to get the new pricing. So most sensible people that want to, that will still want to go, and I don't know if sensible and still want to go to TFC should be in the same sentence, but um, if you're in that, you're going to have to put the money down, uh, you're going to have to put 20% of your deposit, your, your deposit's 20%, and then you can pay in installments from there. Um, at any rate, uh, yeah, if you don't want to go, don't go, and... That's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, You have every right to complain about it, but there comes a point where, you know, you have to vote with your feet, and uh, that's what I would say with TFC. If you, I support you. If you feel that you need to walk out of that stadium, then you're going to easily get a ticket next year if you want to come back. So, walk with your feet if you don't like the pricing. And uh, I think that goes for uh, pretty much all part of society almost today. The only vote you really do have is with your wallet. So. Think about it carefully, and it's the only way to make a statement in 2014. And I've already committed to going back for my three tickets because I'm a sucker. <laughs> On that note, Kevin. Have a great sucker, people. We'll talk to you soon. Canada. Oh, 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 Canada. I'm from the East, East, East Coast. <laughs> 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 I'm from Canada. So sometimes words come over my mouth like this.